You knew when you prepared to go to China that the culture would be very different. But even then, you were surprised at how much you stood out. Not only did people stare, they often wanted to touch you. And quickly you learned that the only way you could set your boundaries was to learn the local language just as fast as you could. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I think a lot of people in China thought we were really, really rich. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you're here in China and you're studying here. You must have a lot of money. And, and we, I think it's funny. We'd always defend and say, oh, no, no, we're, we're, we're college students. We'd like, we're still college students. We don't have any money. This week, learning to better communicate boundaries, having your Americanness challenged, and cherry-picking with the neighborhood. Join us on a journey from Atlanta, Georgia to China, and learning to move beyond the stairs. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. And when you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yeah. uh, my name is Abena Amwaku. Um, everyone calls me Abina. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, um, and I participated in the Critical Language Scholarship Program um, in the summer of 2016 um, in China, uh, studying Mandarin. I kind of have a global background. Both my parents are immigrants from Ghana. So growing up, I did spend a lot of time getting to go back to Ghana because a lot of my extended family is still there. Between Ghana and the U.S., I'm very familiar. And so I got to college. Um, I was looking for another language to study after studying Spanish for the entire time I was in um, elementary, middle, and high school. Not wanting to pursue Spanish again, I was like, hmm, what makes sense? And at the time I was studying business, uh, international management, so it made a lot of sense to study Mandarin with hopefully the opportunity to get to study abroad there one day. Through introduction to the language was really what introduced me to the culture and the history of, of China, and I was actually very fascinated because I re realized I didn't really know anything. You learn very minimal, or at least I learn very minimal things in school about China, but it's such a huge nation with such vast history and a lot to learn about it. I think it was especially intriguing because for so long I was closed off from the world, but there was still so much going on there that I was interested in learning more about. first getting there and everyone's staring at me and like being fascinated with me and wanting to touch me and I was like oh, this is kind of weird like they watch tv here they've seen black people before I know for a fact they like like Michael Jackson and Beyonce and you know they love basketball in China but 
within those first couple weeks, every day just got a little bit more and more uncomfortable. And at the time, my my language skills were not very good. So it was very uncomfortable and just like overwhelming and not what I anticipated at all and kind of stole the excitement a little bit away from it. And I think the biggest aspect of it was not being able to communicate how I felt about it uh, or how I felt about people touching me or wanting to take a picture with me. I couldn't communicate in their language. So it was very, very hard. You know, in the U.S., it's like I grew up in Atlanta. Atlanta's a very black city, which is which was great for me. I, you know, it was a great experience. And then going to Ghana, everybody looks like me. You know what I mean? So to be in a place where I was like very, very much stuck out like a sore thumb was just very unexpected. I felt like I had to have a lot of patience, especially with the other people. Um, that I was with, they didn't understand the experience that I was going through. A lot of them were either white or they were Chinese American, so they weren't as uncomfortable as I was. And so trying to be patient and also be respectful of the culture, but also trying to get the same respect back was very hard. But I think eventually as I got better at speaking Chinese, I was able to communicate better and communicate my boundaries better. One instance, whenever Chinese people would approach me, they'd be like, oh, Tasha Fejorenma, like, is she African? And it's like, well, yes, yes, I am, but I'm American because I was raised in America, you know, that threw them off. A lot of people don't know there are a lot of African students studying abroad in China. Nowadays, it's not really the concept of black people being in China is like foreign. It's just like, I think it's still fascinating to a lot of people, especially older generations. So th- that was the one hand, right? It's just like, well, I've always, I, I always identify very proudly as African-American, quite literally both of those. But then also when I get to another country where they're challenging my Americanness, you know, and I didn't know what to do with that. Challenging my Americanness because of my blackness, right? And it's kind of hard again to explain in a different language <laughs> what that means because for them it was very quite literally black and white right it was it was like american or african you can't really be both what does that mean well you look like this so you have to be african and there's really not an in between i just had to understand that my identity was a little bit different in china and not not care but also not let it get, like not let it get to me that it didn't change my personal identity or how i how i have already reconciled my own identity time that I was there, it was summer of 2016. So there's already a lot of speculation about the things that were going on in America, right? And so to not be in America when that was happening was like, you are. I already felt very disconnected. But then as soon as people found out that you're American, they had all these questions about it and want to know so much more about it. And it was like, I don't actually really know what's, you know, like, I know what's going on. And yes, I know the context of what's happening. But I, I can't really answer these questions that you're asking me because you're really challenging me in ways that I never thought about it. When you're no longer in a Western world and non-Westerners are asking you what's going on in your Western world, it's very hard to compose a straight answer or explain it in a way that makes sense. I think my Americanness was challenged a lot. In some ways, 
I felt like I wanted to distance myself from my Americanness because it was just too stressful to handle at times. So sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I'm African. I'm like, yep, from Ghana. <laughs> like that's was unique, right? I could I could kind of pick whatever identity I wanted to if I if I really wanted to. I didn't I didn't do it often, but in uncomfortable situations, I think I used it as a as a mechanism. I'm now I'm thinking about it. It's like, whoa, I actually was able to do that when I wanted to, right? There are a lot of Western things there, right? KFC, Pizza Hut, those are like two of the most, McDonald's, those are like two, three really popular restaurants there. Walmart is huge there. It's kind of amazing to see the way that these things are elevated in China versus the way they're they're downplayed in the United States, right? Going to Pizza Hut's a restaurant experience. Like you, you, you sit down and you get served and everything. KFC and McDonald's, same thing. Even movies and the way superhero movies are super popular, you know? Those ideas of things and just like, oh, you're from America. So you, like the first question is like, you know about this and this and this person, like Obama and, you know, Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan and all these artists and like big people here who were like, yeah, like those are people we like too. And they're like, we love them here. And they're like, have you ever heard of Jackie Chan? And it's like, of course we've heard of Jackie Chan. But it's fun to talk about with people because it, it, it brings some kind of common ground. So I think on one hand, it could be annoying to people. It's like, okay, yes, you're naming all these American things. But for me, it was exciting because it's like, great, you know about some things about America and maybe this can help like us on a common ground or build a common foundation in some way. Once I got in a taxi and I was with my language partner, the taxi driver started talking about me to my language partner. And this always happens. People are always talking about me uh, in Chinese to the person who is, looks Chinese and thinking I don't understand them. And so I just interrupted in the conversation. I was like, oh, I understand what you're saying. And he's like, oh, wow. And then he goes, Obama? He's like, do you know who Obama is? I was like, of course I do. And he just got really excited. And he was like, you know, I knew you were American. And I was like, oh, really? Because everybody thinks that I'm African. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, I, know, I could tell the difference. Now. I've gotten to interact with so many different people. I could tell the difference now. I think I was eager to share with, like, especially from the aspect of, like, them being very surprised that I was American. Being like, yes, America has all types of people. And if I was with a Chinese-American pe person, it's like, there are people like us, you know, there are white people, there are Native Americans, you know, there, there's all of that. There's things that are like 
very obviously like sacred in a, in a sense. Um, so living, I lived with a host family for, and that was very interesting because I was very, very, very nervous about that. Considering I was gonna be in somebody else's home, we didn't really know each other. One thing that was pretty cool to observe is how central the woman is in the family and in and, and the sense that like, women handle the money and make a lot of the big decisions. So for example, my host mom, she worked full time, had two daughters, one was seven, one was five, and cooked every single meal for everyone, which was very, very, very impressive to me. One thing I really liked about like the culture also was like the community aspect. So on one of the family outings we went on, people in the neighborhood, so they lived in like a condo building and it was a mix of like condos and some single family homes as well. The housing association had planned a cherry picking outing. So we went like cherry picking and like literally it was like five buses of families and it's and it wasn't just like mom, dad, kids, mom, dad, kids, grandfather, grandmother. Like the family unit is very, very strong and extended family living in one household is very strong, which is like, it's very beautiful to see. And they were all friends and you know, they all went on this outing together for the day. And they were, the, some of my other friends in the program were also in some of the other host families. And they were all very keen to like show us off and brag about one and uh, us to one another. Like we were their own kids, which was really fun. There's some people who are very who have a lot of national pride, and there are some people who are very, very unsatisfied with, you know, the conditions and the type of government and leadership that they have to live under. There are a lot of things that are happening that was just like very hard to see or hear about. That perspective is also very interesting, especially like China's always in the news. And when I'm ever reading about it, I'm reading about like, oh wow, that makes sense, or you know, I I saw underlyings or, you know inklings of this happening, but now it's actually happening and things like that. And I have a lot of friends who are who are still in China and, and experiencing that. Everybody's very unsure of what's gonna happen or what, what, what it's gonna look like. A lot of people keep on telling me, it's like, ooh, you know Mandarin, that's gonna be really, really good in the future. I'm like, well, I hope so, but not in a way that's beneficial, I hope, you know, not, not in a way that's detrimental to anyone. China, you don't have access to a lot of things that you have access to, especially on the internet, right? So you don't have access to Google, no Facebook, Instagram. A lot of things are blocked. Things that I, we take for granted in a sense are very much blocked. Everybody has Gmail, all Americans have Gmail, right? And so you have what's called a virtual private network, a VPN. That's what a lot, a lot of people don't know this. A, a VPN is what basically says like, oh, I'm in Atlanta or oh, I'm in Washington DC, but I'm, but you're really in China, but it says you're using the internet from this other location. So we all use VPNs. Uh, they're very easy to come by. Most universities have them. So as university students, we all had one. And if not, they're pretty easy to purchase. They're like $10 for like a month. But a lot of the times, it was very obvious that the VPNs were being disrupted, right? That the government or whoever was purposely trying to make sure that the VPNs weren't working so you wouldn't have access to those. And even now, I still get the weirdest spam Chinese emails. 
and I don't know where they came from. You know, like stuff like that. I definitely think there were there were times where we were like heavy speculate. We were like, did this happen to you last night? Okay, it happened to me too. Like, you know, I always used to joke and I'd be like, of all the random pictures that gets taken of me without being asked and the videos that get taken of me, I was like, I bet you I'm on all these websites. It doesn't even matter. The Chinese government knows who I am. They know my social security number at this point. Like, I think we joke to make light of it, but it's, it is actually a very serious thing that's happening. Making light of it was easier than thinking of like what was actually happening. And also just like, I th definitely think it's a huge concern. And actually it's something very real that is happening, yeah. There were a lot of times where we would just like, okay, let's go on a weekend trip. And one weekend trip that we went to, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but we went to Dandong, which is the border, but border China's China city between North Korea and China. And it's just a regular, just a regular Chinese city, just much smaller. We were like, oh yeah, this is gonna be super easy. It's a super small town. Super small in China does not mean the same as super small in the United States of America. Because let me tell you, super small is very, very big. So we're like, oh, the distance looks really short between like the train station and where a hostel was supposed to be. Nope, 30 minute drive. Okay, so we had to take a taxi and there's eight of us. How are we gonna make sure our two taxis stay together and they don't try to, you know, like scam us? And our hostel just ended up being way out of the way. And we thought we were gonna, there was, it was gonna be a spa and things because we saw it on the internet. It was not that when we got there. There was really no food in the area. We got there so late that the kitchen had closed. And so we're just like walking on the street and all these people are staring at us and screaming at us and yelling and chasing after us. And we're just like, LOL, this is so ridiculous. And like, we're like, can you imagine if our parents saw us or they'd be like, what the heck are you doing? And a lot of the times I do this, I was like, I'm just gonna tell my mom about it after it happens <laughs> because I don't want her to freak out like if she knows it's happening right now. And so a lot of the stories I'd end up telling my mom after she's like, what, you did what? You hiked what mountain? You did, you went where for what weekend? I don't know, if they're not in Shanghai or Beijing, I don't know if my friends or family could really understand how different China is and really like enjoy it as much as I did. I knew I was just down for the adventure and the experience and it was a limited time. So why not try everything and do all these things that are outside of my comfort zone and that I wouldn't get to do when I got back here. noticed it somebody the guide was just like that's north korea and i was like what it's super fascinating because i've i've also gone at the time it wasn't as hostile of an environment but the way western news talks about it versus when you go there it's so chill obviously it's changed in the last what it's been almost three years since i've been there things have escalated but at the time it was just very so casual and all of us were just like looking at each other like is this weird that like, we think this is weird that there, people are so casual about this? Because we come from a society where everything, it is amplified, right? And the way it's it's talked about is very amplified. It makes you, it really instills fear in you. And granted those two borders also do look very different, but still we were just like, I think we were just very much in like, in awe. You can see into North Korea, which is crazy. I, I can say I've seen into North Korea. <laughs> and not people can see that.
one day I was going from uh, home to class and my family lived on top of a hill that went down straight to the university, which was very convenient for me. I didn't have to take the bus or anything. I could just walk. Um, it was a dead of summer though, so it became very, very hot sometimes. And usually sometimes in the middle of the day when I was walking down to class, I would pass the preschool that my youngest uh, host sister would go to. And so sometimes they'd be playing outside and she'd see me and like scream across the street like, uh, which is American sister, American sister. And I remember usually I passed on the other side of the street to avoid like having to interact and her teacher being like, who the heck is this person? But one day I just happened to be on the same side of the street of the school. And one of her little friends was like, oh, like, that's a black girl. That's your black sister. And she was like, no, that's my American sister. You know, and she's so adamant about it. She's five years old. She's one of the sassiest people I've ever met. And I was just like, yeah, you tell him. You tell him, you know? I just, I love that she didn't try to put me in a, like, a bubble or just be like, oh, the black girl is your sister. It's like, no, she's my sister from America. And that's how we referred to her. And that made me feel really proud. Um, and I, it's not something that I taught her or anything like that. It's just something like uh, her naivete and her just being a young person and her not seeing me in a certain way um, was like really exciting. And I was proud of her for that. Because at that point, I didn't, I didn't really know if she liked me or not. <laughs> A lot of the grandmas, they get, and grandpas, they get into the square or some like community spot and they do Tai Chi, which is just very fun to watch because it is, they're very dedicated to doing that. Morning markets and kind of like fresh food on, like, on the, in the market. Every time all of us would walk down to school, if we didn't get breakfast at home, we would get it off the street. It's super easy and convenient and very, very normal to do that. Starbucks is not like a morning breakfast thing, you know? That's like an afternoon delicacy delight thing. Oh my goodness, and they, like, I can think of like the afternoon and leaving class and there being so many people in the street and so many buses and buses, they're a stick shift and they're very terrifying <laughs> um, because they're barreling towards you and all cars have the right of the way. So I can just hear the honking and the, you know, the pitter patter of shoes running very across, quickly across the street and all the motorcycles, super loud and, you know, smell the exhaust, see the pollution. Restaurants are always super loud. People really gather and like to gather around food. And so restaurants are always super loud and super crowded. Service is not a thing in China. You yell for your waiter. So you yell for them, you yell for your check, you yell for anything that you want. So they're a loud and lively place, um, but people are obviously very happy there. Um, and enjoying themselves. a way to find like a fun and good and good situations yes they're gonna be like bad experiences or things that like i never want to do that again or maybe i don't want to come to this place again but for me i i am anticipating and super excited for an opportunity to go back just because i've seen parts of china but i have not seen so many parts of china you know and i think i have a unique advantage in in, in understanding the language and being able to speak some of the language and even like while i'm still here and reading about things that are happening in china or learning new things i'm just like 
wow, that's so cool. Why didn't I do that? Or sometimes my friends send me things about like travel stuff in China and they're like, have you been to this place or have you heard of this place? I'm like, no, I haven't even like heard or seen of this. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty two thirty three is named for Title Twenty Two, Chapter Thirty Three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Abina Amuaku discussed her time in China as a participant in the Critical Languages Scholarship, or CLS, program. For more about CLS and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do that wherever you find your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us anytime at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Abena for her willingness to share her stories. I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Mr. Mole and Son, One Needle, Picnic March, The Poplar Grove, and Plum King, all by Blue Dot Sessions, and Preludio 1976 by Himalaya. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tegir Lius. Until next time.